The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. All right. Good morning. Good to have you with us and looking forward to a day of worship to the Father. Take your Bibles with me. Let's go to John chapter 1, the Gospel of John chapter 1. We began a series of, of lessons here, a study on the grace of God. And been going on for about 12 weeks now, maybe, maybe 13 or 14 weeks. Um, this is lesson number six in this study, but I, I only teach every other week, so it kind of spreads out a bit. But we began talking about the grace of God, and, and we will be for quite another, uh, for quite an extended period of time, um, discussing the, the marvelous grace of God and, and the, the depth of that study, of, of studying the grace of God. Literally, you can spend a lifetime doing it and really never learn all there is to know. But we don't have that much time, so I try to encapsulize these lessons into main themes uh, main points of distribution. Let's look together at John chapter 1. And we'll begin reading very familiar verses. Let's begin in verse 10. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness have all we received, and grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time we have this morning. I pray that you would bless the teaching of your word now. Pray you'd open our hearts and our minds to, to the truth that we will hear. Lord, that we would receive it and that you would strengthen us through it and that you would enable us by it. Thank you for these things now we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Look with me again at verse 17, where John writes, For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Um, have you ever wondered why Moses wasn't allowed into the promised land? Uh, well, the, of a truth, it's because he had sinned against God, right? He had he had smote the rock twice instead of just speaking to it as, as God had commanded him. But there's another reason why Moses wasn't allowed into the promised land. Anyone want to venture a guess from what we just read and what we're discussing in our studies? What did Moses represent? The law. Can the law get us into, the, into, into heaven? No, can't. Moses didn't go into the promised land because it was a picture of the fact that only grace and truth gets us in the promised land, gets us into heaven, not the law. The law doesn't get us to heaven. What is the law? 
What does the Bible state about it? What, what does the word of God say the law is? A schoolmaster. It's a teacher. Right? When you graduate from high school, you don't need a teacher anymore. Do you? Well, you do if you go to college. But when you, when you graduate from school, you, you don't need a teacher anymore. Right? You put away a schoolmaster. And, and, and the law was a teacher. It's a schoolmaster. It's, it's there to convict us in our heart. It's there to show us that we, in fact, are not perfect, that we cannot get to heaven by our own devices or by our own strength or by our own understanding. It's there to show us and demonstrate our need for the Savior. So Moses gave us the law. Uh, and, and so Moses is a picture of, of the law which cannot, cannot bring us to the promised land. Uh, Moses brought the people where? Right to the Jordan River and then he goes off the scene and Joshua takes over and takes the people across the Jordan into the promised land. Uh, that's not part of my study this morning. That's just a little tidbit I thought I'd throw in there because as I read that verse, it jumped right out at me. Uh, and so you got a bonus this morning. All right. So th- thus far in our study of grace, we've defined grace. Uh, we've diagrammed it and we've described it. We had a, a, a several lessons on, on describing God's grace and and really, we didn't, we didn't complete that section. It would take me years to co- completely describe God's grace. But again, we, we hit some high points on it. So uh, you, I encourage you to continue to study what God, the, God's grace described by his own word. But this morning, we're going to look at a new section. And we're going to look at number f- Roman number four in our study, the distribution of grace. The distribution of grace. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul writes, Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ. So today I I would like for us to consider the distribution of the grace of God. Um, Think for a moment. Um, there are some that believe that God established grace and then just put it out there for anybody who wanted it. And uh, that, that sounds real fair, sounds real equitable. But think for a moment uh, of your own family. If you have parents who have a, an inheritance, who have something to leave you, something to give you, uh, when they pass away... Is that, is it a free-for-all for anyone who wants it? Hmm? No. Usually there's a will. Usually there's instructions on how that, that estate, how that wealth will be distributed. Who's going to get what? Because it's not just put out there so if, if, you, if you've never known this person, you can't just come along and say, hey, well, guess what? I want to share. I want to share of that inheritance. It's not going to happen. You're not going to get it. So do we, do we put more credence in human uh, inheritance than we do in the inheritance of the Father? Remember that we're going to talk about this next hour, this morning in our, in our message, so I'm not going to preach my Sunday morning message now, but remember we are adopted children of, of God, and we do have an inheritance in Christ, and he's not going to give our inheritance away to those that he does not call his own. 
So there's a, there's a definite, a specific distribution of God's grace. Now, when I consider that, uh, some fundamental questions come to mind. Uh, first of all, where does this grace come from? These points aren't on your study sheet, so, but you might want to jot them down if you want to. Uh, where does this grace come from? Okay, if we're talking about God distributing grace, uh, where does this grace come from? My second fundamental question becomes, by whom does this grace come? And thirdly, unto whom is this grace bestowed? I think those are three fair questions, right? Uh, where, where does it come from? By whom does it come? And unto whom is it given? Those seem to be uh, logical questions to ask at this point of this study. If we're going to talk about God distributing grace, then, then we have to answer these questions. So let's begin that this morning by looking at number one on your study sheets, the author of grace. Now, in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 10 and 11, Peter writes, But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So Peter tells us that, that it is the God of all grace that establishes us. It is he that, he said in, in his passage there, it is he that, that makes us perfect. Now we're, we're never going to see perfection in this life. As long as we're veiled in this sinful flesh, we're not going to see perfection. But God will perfect us. He, will, he, he has established us. It is he who strengthens us. It is he who settles us and gives us peace and joy and comfort and, and all of these things. It is God who is the author of these things. Now, we all understand this morning that when I, I talk about an author, I'm talking about the one that originates or initiates something. Uh, the author of a book is given credit for his work. He's the one that, that thought about it, thought it up. He's the one that put it into words. He's the one that, that, that wrote it and established it. It is, it is his. Now, Hebrews chapter 12, Paul tells us very clearly who is the author of our grace, who is the author of our faith. He says in Hebrews 12, 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And we know, we know that the faith that we have is measurable and tangible. A lot of people, when you talk about faith, I, I, I work with a few people who are uh, atheists. I mean, they're, 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 they're very animate about the fact that they're atheists. And sometimes we have conversations sitting outside at lunchtime, and, and they make it clearly known to me that faith is not a real thing. And I tell them all the time, well, my faith is tangible. I can feel it. I can touch it. I can use it. Faith is, is, we know that faith is measurable and it is tangible. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 1 in verses 6 and 7, To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, 
the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. And then in verse 7, he states, Wherefore, or whereof, I am made a minister, according to the gift of the grace of God, given unto me by the effectual power of his working. Now, Paul uses some, Paul uses some terms there that establish that our faith, our grace, is indeed measurable and is indeed tangible. Just because you can't see something doesn't mean it doesn't exist, right? I mean, I've had moments in my life when you, you can't see things, and, 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 but you know that you can feel it. You know, you know what I'm talking about. If you're a child of God this morning, you know what I'm talking about when I say our faith is, we can feel it. We can, it, it it's, it's like someone is shoving you in the back, right? And, and so faith is a real thing. We need to establish that. It is the effectual power and the depth of the grace of God that we see today. I've had moments in my life when it just seems like nothing was working out and all of a sudden uh, I, things happen and, and I know without a doubt it's the effectual power of God. It's the work of God. Uh, and, and there's no other explanation for it. Of course, those who don't believe will never believe. They won't believe in our faith. But it's real to you. It should be. And that's my question right now. Is your faith real to you? Or is it just a word that you hear preached and you talk about? Have you ever put, God's, have you ever put God to the test? By the way, he wants you to test him. He's not afraid of testing him. Now, don't, don't do foolish things. You know, the devil told Jesus, cast yourself off the temple here and, and God's given charge to his angels not that, that, that you shouldn't even hurt your toe. And what did Jesus say? It's also written, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. So don't, don't do something foolish and, and trying to prove God. But God wants you to trust him. He wants you to test his faith or test his ability with your faith. Grace has a source. And that source is God. And God has given grace as a gift. He's, he is the distributor of grace. And it's a gift. It's not something you can buy. It's not something you can earn. It's a free gift of God. And we know that all good gifts, the Bible tells us, originates from God. James chapter 1 and verse 17, James writes, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness nor shadow of turning. It's important for us to remember this morning that God cannot be tempted, nor does he tempt any man. Uh, James tells us that in verse 13. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted neither with evil, neither tempteth he any man. God's grace is given to us. It's a free gift. God does not use uh, temptations to cause us to he doesn't test us in that manner we know that God uh, does not do that he can't be tempted he can't be bargained with negotiated with some people treat God like he's Monty Hall uh, well God uh, can I have what's behind door number two no God doesn't work that way God desires that all things be done decently and in order 
1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 40. Let all things be decent, done decently and in order. God, God is the author. He's not the author of confusion. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 14.33. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. And is in all churches of the saints. So we see that grace is, is tangible. And it's valuable in our lives. And we see that it originates from and it originates with God. There is no other source of grace. At least not the spiritual grace that we're talking about. So this morning, let's establish very clearly that our grace, the grace, uh, the grace that, we, that we treasure so dearly, um, originates from God. God is the author of grace. But then secondly, this morning... We need to consider the arbiter of grace. The arbiter of grace. John chapter 1 and verse 17 we read earlier. For the law was given by Moses. But his grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Now an arbiter is not a satellite orbiting the earth. Okay. It's not a spaceship Orbiting the earth. That's not the kind of arbiter I'm talking about. I'm talking about an A-R-B-I-T-E-R, and not an O-R-B-I-T-E-R. An arbiter is someone who's empowered to settle matters, matters of dispute. A judge is an arbiter. You go to, you go to court against, with someone, you, you sue someone, you take them to trial. The judge sits and on the bench and he hears both sides of the argument. And he's the arbiter. He's the one that makes the decision. He's the one that settles the dispute. Uh, in, a, in a jury trial, the jury <clears throat> constitutes the arbiter. They're the one that, that weighs the facts, and they're the ones that makes the decision. And when it comes to our, to our salvation, to our redemption, to our spiritual life, Jesus Christ is the arbiter. In 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, we read, And this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Jesus Christ uh, became the solution. He, he settled the dispute. Between God and me. So when I say that Christ is the arbiter of grace this morning, allow me to uh, explain myself <laughs> step by step. So letter A on your study sheets is this. All men are lost by virtue of sin. I think we all agree with that, right? All men are lost. There's, there's none righteous. No, not one. There's no man that can stand alone and say, uh, apart from, from Christ, and say, I am born again. No man can say that. Romans 5.12, Wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. In other words, we can blame Adam for sin being in the world. However, we cannot blame Adam for our own sin. 
Yeah, Adam, Adam and Eve opened the door for sin to, to enter into this world. But I don't sin because Adam sinned. I sin because I chose to sin. You sin because you chose to sin. All men are lost by virtue of sin. James chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, James writes, But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. So we see that uh, all of us are under the same condition. We're all lost in sin. But then secondly, we need to understand that the debt of sin must be settled. Now, if in, in our justice system and in our frame of mind, often as men, we may think, well, if everybody, what, what does a teacher do in school? If everybody in the class failed the test, what do they do? Give another test. Well, if everybody failed, it must have been my fault. I didn't teach it correctly or, or I, didn't, I didn't state the questions appropriately. So we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna have a do-over. A do-over. We don't get do-overs in life. We don't get them. The debt has to be paid. It must be settled. In Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse 4, we read, Behold, all souls are mine. As the soul of the Father, so also the soul of the Son is mine. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. And God clearly states that the soul that sins dies. Dies physically, but also dies spiritually. In Ezekiel 18.20, The soul that sinneth, it shall die. The Son shall not bear the iniquity of the Father, neither shall the Father bear the iniquity of the Son, the righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. So God clearly states that the death, the debt of sin must be settled. All sin must be paid for, lest God be mocked. In Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7, the word of God states, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. If God allowed one soul, if God, if God allowed one soul to enter into heaven without the debt of sin being paid, then he would be unjust. And God is not unjust. And we know this. The debt of sin must be settled. So all men are lost by virtue of sin. The debt of sin must be settled. Letter C, number three. The, penalt the penalty of sin is established. There is a penalty for sin. Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death. God has said the soul that sinneth it shall die. And the wages of sin is death. Again, both physical and Spiritual. Revelations chapter 20, verse 14 and 15. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. So there are two deaths. There's the death of the physical body and the death of the spiritual soul. And the, 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 the second death, the death of the soul, is eternity in the lake of fire. 
eternal torment. When I was, before God had opened my eyes and, 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 and showed me the truth, I, I was reading my Bible one night, and I read from the book of Revelation and read about the horse-sized scorpions with heads of lions and tails of serpents and uh, tormenting men day and night in hell. And I remember just saying, Lord God, I don't want to go there. I don't want to have anything to do with that. Listen, a lot of people run around thinking, ah, man, I'll be in hell with my buddies. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll pop some beer and we'll have some fun. Yeah, you think so. <laughs> Listen, man has no idea what's awaiting him. Because if he did, he would not walk he would run to Christ. And man is blind and he, he doesn't believe that. And that's why he doesn't come to Christ. Only those that, that God opens the eyes and, and shows us and reveals truth to us. Only those men come to the Lord. So we see all men are lost by virtue of sin. The debt of sin must be settled. The penalty of sin is established. And then letter D, the restitution for sin is provided. God solved the problem. In Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8, we read, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died died for us not after it doesn't say after we cleaned up our act doesn't say after we paid our penance and 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 cleaned ourselves up and doesn't say after we came to understanding and knowledge it says while we were yet sinners christ died for us he 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 died for us just as we were because that was the will of god God is the arbiter of grace. He, all men sin. God pronounced the penalty for sin. He, he, he gave the sentence and he himself carried out the sentence so that he could redeem his elect saints, so he could redeem those that he has chosen unto himself. There's only one acceptable sacrifice for our sin, and that's Jesus Christ, the only righteous one. Nothing else will satisfy the justice of God. There is no scripture to support the idea that the grace of God is just sitting on the shelf uh, waiting to be claimed by anyone that wants to claim it. There's no evidence in scripture for that. This philosophy is in fact an insult to the sacrifice of Christ. It is by his righteousness and by his death that we are redeemed. How could we possibly, how could we as God's children possibly degrade the, the magnitude of the love of Christ and the love of God by making his death subject to the, to the will of man? We couldn't do that. We should not do that. Now, yes, we do exhibit our will to choose. We do that once God has awakened us, once God has enlightened us. Once God has, has set upon his heart to redeem us, and he enlightens us, we come, I came to realization that I was lost, and that I needed a Savior. And yes, I did choose to, to believe in Christ. I did choose to receive him. 
as my Savior. And we do exercise our will in our salvation. However, we exercise our will after God has exercised his will. Not before he does, but after he does. And we have to get the order right. Because God is the arbiter of grace. He is the one that, that settled the dispute between myself and the Father. He is the one that brought peace. He is the one that brought justice. He is the one that paid my debt. And once he did all of that and God revealed all of this to me and made me aware of all of this, how could I but? How could I but come to the Savior? How could, I, how could I do anything else than come to Jesus and say, Father, save me? I mean, an, it, would ta- it would take an insane man to be, to be enlightened to all of that truth and choose to go the other way. But we see, un- we see insane men every day, don't we? Because we, we share the gospel with them and we give them the truth of Christ. And what do they do? They mock. They walk away. And that's because God hasn't imposed his will yet. And until God's will is done, man's will 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 follow its natural course, which is to rebel against and hate God. So we see we're completely justified in in saying that Christ is the arbiter of grace. It is he that settles and resolves the dispute between God and our lost soul. But then lastly this morning, I want to look at number three, (laughs) the application of grace. So we've seen the author of grace as God the Father. We see the arbiter of grace as Christ the Son. So let's take a look this morning at the application of grace. Turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3. Let's turn together, Ephesians chapter 3. And we'll read verses 1 through 7. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Now... (laughs) I realize I'm not giving you anything this morning that you don't already know. Uh, there's nothing new under the sun, Solomon said. We know, we know all these spiritual truth. But, you know, as, as humans, we need to be reminded because we forget. We get so wrapped up in our daily lives and so busy in, in our issues and our problems, we sometimes forget these things. But we'll never have the proper love and respect for God until we understand these truths. And, and until we keep them in the forefront in our minds and until we, un, we know our place. What did Paul say? Don't think more of yourselves than you ought to think. Realize that you're but a sinner saved by grace. That's all you are. And, and, and give, give the glory where the glory is due. And that is to the Father in every aspect in our life. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 3. Let's go to verse 1. For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given me to you, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in few words, whereby when ye read ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, where, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, and is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs uh, and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel, whereof I am made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. 
Now we see here the application of grace. Notice in verse 2 where it states the dispensation of the grace of God. Uh, This word dispensation has three distinct meanings. First, it's an exemption from some rule or obligation. Uh, you can be given a dispensation of the law, for instance, uh, in a court where, where you made exempt from some rule or, or some obligation. Um, secondly, a share, it can, it, it's defined as a share that has been dispensed or distributed. And thirdly, it is the act of dispensing or giving out in portions. Now, I believe that every word used by God in his inspiration of Paul was carefully chosen. So when he, when he inspired, when the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write this, these scriptures, he very carefully cho- gave him the, the words to choose here. And Paul talks about the dispensation of the grace of God. And, and here he's talking about the distribution of that grace, the, the, the dispensing from he, he gives the, 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 the timeline, the dispensation from God the Father through Jesus the Son to the apostles and through the churches to the people, to you and I, to the Gentiles, Paul wrote. This, this application of grace, this dispensation of the gospel through, through the ages and through the time is not just a mere chance, it's the purpose and will of God. So, from, from this passage of Scripture, I can determine a few things. First, letter A is this. I can determine that the grace of God gives us an exemption from the obligation of the law. The, dispen- the grace of God dispensed to us, applied to us, gives us an exemption from the obligation of the law. Romans chapter 5 and verse 13 we read, For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Um, an exemption from some rule or obligation was one of the applications of the definition. So think of it this way. <laughs> what happens when a police officer pulls over another police officer for speeding? Huh? Nothing. Nothing. It's called professional courtesy. Uh, back in, in my hometown, uh, the, I worked for a man who was an honorary deputy. And uh, he, had a, he had a little sticker he put on his windshield, and it was a sheriff's badge. And if, if he got pulled over, as soon as they shined that light and saw that little sticker, they'd say, hey, just wanted to make sure you were having a good night. Talk to you later, see you, and get in the car and buy. He's given a pass, an exemption. Now, wait a minute. I don't want to belittle the law here, and I don't want us to think for a moment that, uh, that we have the right to go around breaking the law. But by virtue of the grace of God in our lives, we are exempt from the law of Moses. We are exempt from the law of sin. However, we are under a greater law, are we not? We're under the law of Christ. We're under the law of grace. A greater responsibility is on us. Just like a police officer, although he's exempt from 
from some of the maybe some of the laws, he has a greater responsibility to uphold the law and to be to be an example of of, of obeying the law. Because of the grace of God bestowed upon you and I, our sins are not imputed unto us. In Romans chapter 4, Paul states, Even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Do you have any idea this morning how blessed you really are? I mean, stop and think about it for a moment. We are truly blessed. But we must beware. We must beware lest we run around and think that we are blessed because of our abilities to resist sin. Because we don't have an ability to resist sin. We're not blessed this morning because of who we are. We're blessed because of what we are. What are we? Children of God. We're not, we're not blessed this morning because we're, we're super, super Christian who leaps sins in a single bound. And... No, 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 no. We're blessed because we're God's child. That's why we're blessed. It's not our ability to resist sin. It's God's grace that's given us the exemption from our sin by the sacrifice of our Savior. But then secondly, I can determine from Paul's writings that the grace of God makes us heirs of the righteousness of Christ. Now, I'm not going to go into this in detail because if I do, I'm going to preach my message this morning. But uh, God's grace, as Paul states, God's grace makes us heirs of the righteousness of Christ. Not our own righteousness, but the righteousness which is given to us by the effectual working of the power of Christ. And then lastly this morning, let us see the grace of God is portioned as he has chosen. Paul talks about the, uh, he talks here about the, the gift of God, the gift of the grace of God given unto those uh, by the effectual working of his power. It's a gift. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 11 through 14, we read, And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believed not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth, whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said that God hath chosen us from the beginning. We looked at that last week. Before the foundation of the world, God had chosen us. He had, he had already called us unto salvation. He had already called us unto the righteousness in Christ. And through Christ's sacrifice as our arbiter, we see that the application of the grace of God is given to us through the preaching of the gospel that has gone on throughout the ages. Some people say, well, if I believe what you believe, then why would I bother going out soul winning? Because it's by preaching that God saves. That's why. God chose to save man by preaching, and it's by your preaching and by my preaching that men will hear the truth and will be, will be saved by the grace of God. 
So, we must remember uh, these things. Grace distributed. The author of grace is God the Father. The arbiter of grace is Christ the Lord. And the application of grace is to the children of God chosen before the foundation of the world. All right, folks. Well, it's 10 till, so I'm going to stop here. And uh, we'll come together in two weeks and continue our study on the grace of God. Thank you for being here this morning, and you are dismissed. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.